The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Well, twice is a coincidence, and three times, that's a pattern. So I guess we've got a user question series on our hands now. Today, we'll be doing a deep dive on your tax planning questions. So hang on. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Alex Merguia, and I'm here with my trusted, very trusted co-host, Wade Fow. Wade, how are you? I'm doing great, Alex. How are you? I'm doing great, Wade. How are you? <laughs> wonderful. Uh, yeah, wonderful. So what are we speaking about today? Well, a lot going on uh, with the uh, the launch of the 2024 edition of the Retirement Planning Guidebook, which should be available at the point that you're hearing this podcast. Uh, and as part of that launch, we're going to be doing a webinar on Monday, February 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We'll have a link to sign up for that in the show notes where I'll, I'll talk about the new material in the book about the, the new approach I take to tax-efficient retirement distributions. And as a part of like building up towards that webinar, I thought it'd be good to take some of the tax planning questions that we received as part of that live webinar at the beginning of January and just have a, a Q&A session, but on, on tax planning topics. And these questions are all mainly different from things I would specifically be discussing in the webinar. But if there's anything we kind of glossed over because it's one of these basic details, it's part of tax planning more generally. If you'd like that education on tax planning as a broader retirement income topic, be sure to check out the new 2024 edition of the Retirement Planning Guidebook. That tax planning discussion has been mostly rewritten uh, for the 2024 edition. And then also attend that webinar on Monday, February 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So that's the plug. <laughs> Let's get into the... <laughs> Wade, you, 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 you have grown yeah. so much <laughs> before these kind, of, these kind of things were kryptonite <laughs> for you. Look at you. This thing's in your bloodstream now. I'm a marketer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. Listen, I, you, don't, you don't have to tell me. I think your book is, uh, is, is uh, you know, the default handbook for all things retirement planning that, you know, should be on every shelf. I mean, simply put, you can always refer to it, et cetera. I, I, I think it's great. And the fact that you're revising it on a yearly basis is you know, well, you always have to because there's always new laws. So I, I, I think it, it speaks it speaks about the quality of the Thanks. work. And you were saying offhand, though, the sales are are, are really nice, yeah. right? It's one of these things that, you know, we're not as big random house publisher or anything like that. You just, we, you know, self-published it, let it rip. And it's doing remarkably really well. Yeah, Didn't I've been very pleased. The past few months in particular have been, been doing quite well. And so... Onward and upward and excited to get the new edition out. And I do hope every year around the end of January to be able to launch a, an updated edition with all the new numbers. The main constraint is you, like this year, it was January. What date was that? Uh, 
January 11th is when the December <laughs> inflation data comes out, and I need that number to complete some of the updates. <laughs> so <laughs> once that number comes out, I, I finish yeah, yeah, making yeah. the rest of the updates. And then being self-published, it's sometimes you hear about traditional book publishing where, oh, I've got a book coming out in 10 months. No, being self-published, as soon as I make those updates, I can publish immediately. So we got a good, quick turnaround and excited to keep things as up to date as possible. Yeah, nimble. <laughs> nimble, nimble, nimble. So uh, I, I would say, do you recommend people wait until 2026 to buy the new book? Forget these updates. Wait till 2026 when if the new tax rates. Yeah, based on our discussion from the past episode, <laughs> 2026 may require more extensive revisions if we do. Because right now everything's set up with we're going to change the tax rules in 2026. If, when 2026 gets here, maybe taking that all out and just saying, here's the tax rules. Mm-hmm. Book might get a little shorter at that point, actually. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let me let me read to you some of the questions that come up since this is really your, your wheelhouse here uh, for tax planning. So, wait, speak to the impact taxes will have on deferred accounts versus non-qualified accounts. Deferred accounts are like IRAs, 401ks, Roth IRAs Not versus Roth, non-qualified well, accounts. Yeah, Roth is tax- deferred, but really it's tax-free. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Tax-free. Yeah, it's really tax-free. But in like in my parlance, any you know, uh, and then versus non-qualified. Non-qualified are taxable accounts. So speak to the tax, speak to the impact taxes will have on deferred accounts versus non-qualified accounts. Fair assessment of both both approaches as deferred accounts can force social security benefits to be subject to income tax. And deferred accounts can cause IRMA surcharges that has to do with Medicare and stuff like that. Can become expensive long term. Yeah, and, and can cause IRMA surcharge to become expensive long term. Yeah. Um, so the um, the non-qualified accounts, these would be taxable brokerage accounts where if you're holding bonds that pay interest or just dividends off of stocks, that would also be taxed as ordinary income. Qualified dividends and long-term capital gains would be taxed as preferential income and so have a different set of tax rates. But with the way this question is worded, just to be completely clear about this, Social Security taxation and IRMA surcharges are based on, well, they they come away from numbers linked to your adjusted gross income, which does include not just ordinary income, but preferential income. So generating long-term capital gains or having qualified dividends can also trigger more taxes on Social Security. And once you get to those higher income levels, can also trigger higher Medicare premiums. So I, I do want to make sure that that's well understood because the question almost makes it sound like it's only ordinary income that causes these issues. No, indeed, long-term capital gains and qualified dividends can cause the same same issues. That being said, though, when you're taking distributions from a non-qualified or taxable account, your cost basis comes out tax-free. So generally you can cover more spending with less taxable income. And that's where there, there's definitely a correlation with how the statement is <laughs> written in the question in terms of usually get taxed more strongly on the uh, ordinary income because it all comes out as taxable. You don't get that cost basis uh, coming out tax-free. Uh, now, all that being said, where you also get hit with the deferred accounts would be when required minimum distribution start, which is now age 73. If you are born in 1960 or later, it will be age 75. 
required minimum distributions only apply to those tax deferred accounts uh, and force out income that you don't necessarily have to spend, but you do get taxed on it. So if your tax deferred accounts get quite large, yes, that can potentially will force you into that social security tax torpedo or with even larger accounts, eventually force you into having to pay higher Medicare premiums. And that would be a downside. And and that's what the the Roth conversions usually address. Well, let's get money from the deferred account into the Roth account before Social Security begins and before RMDs begin to better control the, the tax situation. Okay. And since they did talk about IRMA, any anything about that you want to maybe discuss with them? Yeah, yeah. IRMA is the, the Medicare premium increases, and it's based on your income from two years prior. There's a modified adjusted gross income measure, uh, but it's in 2024, looking at your income two years prior for a single person, $103,000 is there's five different thresholds, but the first one's at 103,000 for singles, 206,000 for married filing jointly. It's estimated about 8% of Americans pay IRMA surcharges. And it, it's rough because if you have $1 over the threshold, you can get an additional potentially <laughs> close to $1,000 per person. So if with a couple closer to $2,000 of extra premiums for $1 too much income. So people really do hate IRMA for that particular reason. It is not impacting all retirees, but it's definitely something to to keep in mind. And and that's a good example of if you've never really heard the term IRMA, or if you've never really heard the term social security tax torpedo, check out that webinar we're having on February 5th, because that's where I'm going to provide the more more basic education on these concepts as well. Yeah, and if you're scoring at home, IRMA is the acronym. It's I R M A A. It's In- no. insurance, medical, <laughs> income related, what's it monthly income? adjustment In- amounts. Just okay there for you your go. Medicare Part B Voila. and Part D premiums. <laughs> I, it's just we is IRMA, and you kind of like that's that's, my that's the name it has. <laughs> it's taking its own life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Jedediah, let's go to the next question here. Uh, how do I determine how much to convert to Roth IRA from my 401k pre-tax IRA over the next seven years before RMDs start? Uh, I have $4 million in pre-tax and only three hundred k in Roth. I feel like RMDs will be quite high. Uh-huh. Yeah, Wait. They, the RMDs probably will be high. So just not assuming any investment growth on the $4 million, but if you were 73 years old, the RMD rate at that age is 3.77%. And so your first RMD off of $4 million would be over $150,000, which assuming, like we talked about in the last episode, in 2026 or later, you're already looking at being in the 28% tax bracket at that point. Plus, Social Security goes on top of that in this particular example. So you're going to be taxed on 85% of Social Security. You're probably also going to be triggering IRMA surcharges once you add in the Social Security to that as well. And then all the kind of inflation adjustments we'll be dealing with. So 28%. You mean the... You mean the income-related amounts? I do. Adjusted I do. <laughs> amount, amount. I forgot the last word. I forgot the last word. All right. Yeah, all right. so you're probably going to be in the 28% bracket and then plus IRMA surcharges. 
So when you're thinking about Roth conversions, any opportunity to do that at less than 28% could be attractive. And that's for the next two years, you've got the 22% bracket available. You've got a 24% bracket available. Uh, you do want to, Irma begins starting at age 63 because it, it's income from two years prior. And so with Medicare beginning at 65, you start getting impacted by Irma with your incomes at age 63. Uh, but uh, you, you're dealing with that for the next few years, 22, 24%. In, in 2026 or later, you, you also have the 25% bracket available that you you might, may want to be looking at taking advantage of Roth conversions within those kinds of tax brackets to, because otherwise, um, anytime you can pay it less than a 28%, 28% rate, it may be worthwhile to, to look for those opportunities. I can't get too much more specific than that with the, the details provided, but, but that's how yeah. I'd be thinking about it. Here's a, something also to, it's this is secondary, maybe in tertiary, but I don't know if there's listeners that are that may be thinking about this. But do you want to talk about since the, the the changes came into place? I don't know two years ago. But if you do have a Roth and you have legacy goals, what happens to inherited Roth IRAs and and how they have to be spent down now than before? I know it's not part of the question, but it could be somebody thinking, "I'm going to have so much money in Roth IRAs, I will never use it. I'll use them. You know, I'll just." you know, pass it on to my heirs. Yeah, what it used to then? be that uh, humans could get lifetime stretches on inherited IRAs. Humans? Because <laughs> well, you have to make distinctions. <laughs> there are also non-human. What about? <laughs> That's the designated beneficiaries or non-designated, but uh, they just mean humans versus like trusts or other things. <laughs> no, I know. I was going to make a joke about like, what about parrots? <laughs> I don't know how pets work. They probably need a trust to inherit assets. <laughs> They're non-designated. Uh, but uh what was I saying with that? Oh, it used to be you could stretch it out over a lifetime. Now there's every year with things getting more complicated, you've got uh, eligible designated beneficiaries and non-eligible designated beneficiaries. And adult children are a good example of non-eligible designated beneficiaries who lose the lifetime stretch. They now have 10-year windows to take the money out. And if your adult children are inheriting IRAs from you when they're in their peak earnings years, it's like kind of if you're in your 80s and then they're in your their 50s, they get these inherited IRAs and they now have a 10-year window to get it all out. They may be forced to pay at higher rates. And so when you're thinking about the idea of Roth conversions, you're comparing, well, what rates would I be paying at today with the Roth conversion versus if I leave that money uh, to my adult children, what rate will they be paying? That might motivate doing more Roth conversions as well. Uh, Roth IRAs is still the same 10-year window, but since that comes out not taxable, uh, it, it doesn't add to the adjusted gross income of those beneficiaries. And any, it, always to be clear, any money that you intend to go to charity, to a eligible designated charity, that money comes out of the IRA at, at 0% because uh, charities don't have to pay tax. And so you never want to do Roth conversions on money that you're pretty sure is going to go to a charity. There you have it. Okay, here's the other one. Uh, Good morning and happy New Year's. Greetings from Liberia, where I am on a work trip. A lot of questions. (laughs) A lot of questions I have already. Uh, Question. (laughs) Have you presented the case? Have you presented the case study yet for managing taxes in retirement for couples with over five million dollars? Suggest 
you suggest a 28% effective marginal tax rate. We are heading we are headed into retirement this summer and I was planning to use low earnings years to harvest gains at 0% instead of doing Roth conversions. I'd be interested in seeing your case study. We are both 63. I plan to defer social security until 70. We have 5 million dollars in assets. 40% of it is taxable, 50% tax deferred and 10% tax free. Our income until Social Security kicks in is around $75,000. Rent receipt, rents received, cap gains, pension, and interest. Yeah, so there's mm-hmm. kind of... Wow, nice. Nicely yeah, done, yeah. by the way. Good shape. But there are <laughs> two questions in there. The, yes, the uh, on the article question, Joel Sasser and I did uh, publish a second advisor perspectives column in December where we looked at a couple, I, I think with $5.5 million and then... It worked out that the 28% effective marginal rate target was what worked best in their particular situation. So we should be sure to include a link to that in the show notes. Got to remind ourselves here so that you can uh, have an easy access to the article. Yeah. Are you looking at me to write that? So I write yeah, that down? Or? Sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, really? You should remind Bob to put that in. <laughs> yeah. no, I'll try to remember. And then the, the second one, though, is, is kind of an interesting point. Um, and, and let me kind of simplify or reframe the question. The question seems to be saying, like, instead of doing Roth conversions, I was planning to just fill up my 0% bracket with preferential income. So basically capital gains harvesting. I want to realize capital gains up to the top of the 0% bracket for capital gains, which corresponds very closely to the top of the 12% bracket for ordinary income. And and should we, I guess the question, like, is that okay to do that instead of Roth conversions? It's an interesting question, and it's not one I'm able to fully just answer other than just giving my intuition, which is I don't think you really are going to benefit by focusing, by by avoiding Roth conversions and instead focusing on filling capital gains harvesting, filling your 0% preferential income bracket. Preferential income is generally going to be coming out at 15% in, in this sort of case, probably no matter what you're doing. You, you may be hit at some point with a net investment income tax. You might possibly have enough gains at some point, 10 or the 20% bracket, but you do have some ordinary income already. And there may be some capacity where you could get away with paying 0% instead of 15% on your, your long-term capital gains. But I don't know that it's necessarily worth putting that much emphasis and that if you simply had a choice, should I do a little bit of Roth conversions or should I realize some capital gains at 0%? Again, I haven't simulated this exactly, but my intuition is it's generally going to be more worthwhile to, to focus on the Roth conversion side than on the capital gains side. Hey, Did you know Wade's updated the retirement planning guidebook for 2024? In addition to updating the numbers used throughout the book, we've reworked the tax planning discussion. You can get the updated version on Amazon or your preferred bookstore. And to celebrate this update, Wade will be hosting a webinar, How to Create Tax-Efficient Retirement Distributions, on Monday, February 5th at 2 Eastern. Admittedly, not many people celebrate by talking about distribution strategies in retirement, but if you do, you're definitely one of us. 
For more information and to reserve your spot, go to resaprofile.com slash podcast. Again, that's resaprofile.com slash podcast. See you there. Okay. <laughs> Greetings from Tanzania. No, from... Uh, Liberia. What was it again? <laughs> Liberia, Liberia, Liberia. Uh, I love, I'd love for you to discuss tax planning mapping concepts intersected with a more safety first income annuity preference for example i feel like i have a decent understanding on the tax irregularities and how to mitigate with more traditional probability-based investment withdrawal strategies but do i give up tax optionality here if i have a safety preference or maybe a better question to ask what's the best tax bucket non-qualified tax deferred roth etc to convert into a guaranteed income stream. Yeah, so I, probably that that second way of asking the question is a easier sort of approach. I don't think you're necessarily giving up tax optionality with a safety first approach because you'll still have these different accounts: the non-qualified or taxable account, the tax deferred account, or IRA to simplify, or the the tax exempt or Roth account to to simplify. And then so which is the best bucket to put annuities into? There's not just a a simple answer to that. It's really going to be case by case of where is money available and so forth. And and one of the main issues is simply, so if you buy the annuity in the tax deferred account, you just pay taxes on the distributions as they come out of the, the tax deferred account. If you buy the annuity in the Roth account, you, you get that lifetime income. Uh, you never have to pay any taxes on it. If you buy the annuity in the, the non-qualified account, it depends on the type of annuity. Uh, an income annuity, you get that exclusion ratio where until your life expectancy, just a portion of the uh, payments are taxable. The other portion is treated as return of premium. And then after life expectancy, it, it's all taxable. So that becomes, you get some tax deferral out of that. If it's a deferred annuity, like a fixed index annuity or variable annuity, gains always come out first. So every year as you take a distribution, any of that that's gains is taxable, the rest is return of premium. When you eventually get all the premium out, then it becomes 100% taxable again. Uh, so you Now, on the, on the variable annuity for folks listening in, taxable as, as ordinary income. Yeah, it all comes and with annuities, everything comes out. I, of I didn't want. Yeah. I didn't want anyone. I didn't want anyone to think it was like a short-term, oh, right, right. long-term gain. Yeah, that's a income. good point. With annuities, it all any gains come out, including your mortality credits, <laughs> come out as ordinary income. Uh, the other kind of downside of of a taxable account, though, is you do have to. Well, it's true with any kind of account. You have to sell whatever investment assets you intend to use for the annuity. It's just in a tax advantage account, that's not a taxable event. In a taxable account, if you have a, a lot of capital gains, when you sell those assets, you're generating a big tax bill on the capital gains. Now, maybe with the previous question, maybe you've got a runway where you can generate capital gains at 0%. And so that might be an advantage to, to doing it in a taxable account. But that's sort of the trade-off. I may get a little bit better tax treatment in terms of getting some deferral in a taxable account. But I do have to realize gains on the assets I sell to get the premium to purchase that annuity. 
And so there isn't simply an answer about which type of account is best to purchase an annuity. And it really does depend on the situation and circumstances and what's available and what other income sources you have and how you might incorporate that into other types of tax planning and things as well. So I, I hope that doesn't count as a non-answer, but that that's a common question. It's just there isn't, no, I mean, there isn't just one answer. Everyone's tax situation is different. This goes back to the other piece I started thinking about why you were answering this way. It is also why preparation is important. Because if you're like 65 and you have to make this decision and you're thinking about it, you just have to make do with whatever you have, right? But if you're, let's say, you're in your, you're 50 and you're thinking and you you realize that I'm, I'm a, I don't know, income protection, time segmentation, risk wrap kind of person, and you see annuities in your future and you have uh, a variety of investment accounts, you know, you, you know, a stitch in time saves nine here when, when you're like preparing how you would do this. You, you can begin to set yourself up for this. You know, like you said, uh, if you have to sell assets and recognize gains, may, maybe a, a tax loss harvesting program, you know, with a, with a direct indexing approach when you're in your early 50s makes sense because by the time you're 60, you would have, you know, accumulated quote unquote losses that you can offset if you want to purchase something from a non-qualified account. So this is where it's, you know, for those of you that are 65 or so, you know, just make do with what you can. But those of you that are much younger that are trying to prep for this, beginning to transition for retirement is more than just as long as my asset base hits this number by the time I'm this age, I'm good. No, it, 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 it's also how you're setting up your accounts to make sure when there is that transition, you've given yourself like the smoothest sort of uh, action possible. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean, Wade? Like this is where prep work goes a long way is how I was viewing this answer because you can say all these things, but if you're a certain age, there's, there's only so much space you have to make changes. Yeah. And if you're kind of planning ahead there, your new savings could go into annuity premiums so that you don't have to sell assets for the purchase. That could be another possibility with a non-qualified account. And we also can't forget forget our friend, the QLAC inside of the IRA for <laughs> the potential to get that additional deferral on, on required minimum distributions until the income payments start at age 80 or 85. Heck, even throw in the HSA <laughs> at this point. If you're early, young enough, I mean, what is it, like $8,000 max? If you do that for a good number of years, that gives you a cushion for healthcare <laughs> liquidity perhaps later on, you know, in your 80s. So uh, there's a lot there from a prep standpoint where I, I think accumulation, sometimes folks think, oh, I, I just, you know, set it and forget it and and, and off we go. But no, there, there's a certain... You know, when you when you see the runway in the distance, you know you have to begin aligning the plane, if you will. And 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 I think these questions, if you think about it before the time comes, it just gives you a lot more optionality, if if you will, in a non-RISA kind of way. Uh, okay, want to do one more way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hi, Wade and Alex. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you for generally sharing your knowledge in over 100 podcasts. I'm probably responsible for 80 of those. Wait, maybe you're 20. Would you, would you say that's correct? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, this is greatly appreciated. 
My husband and I retired at 1231.21. Congratulations. And we're met with the 2022 bear market plus very high inflation. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rough year, 2022. Yeah, but it's it's one of these things, right? This goes back to the sequence where I said, you just, you don't know what economic cycle yeah, you're that retiring is, in. That, That's left to... <laughs> that's one of those cases where <laughs> their first year of retirement was pretty strenuous in terms of that's like a casebook example of sequence of returns risk in action. So sorry you had that, yeah, that not sequence only that, of returns. Hopefully 2023 That year things. was so bad. <laughs> I know, but you know, think about that year was so bad. You're not even thinking about the market. You're just thinking about living, <laughs> literally, like staying alive at that point. But okay, inflation is the last <laughs> word of that sentence. Now, needless to say, we significantly curtailed expenses, which was made easier as we also moved from New Jersey to Georgia. We also did not touch our investments and lived off cash savings plus Social Security for one of us. Does that mean like the other spouse didn't? Use up any like didn't eat. <laughs> no, I, they did it off the savings of one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I'm messing around. <laughs> I know. I'm messing around. Uh, I, I, I am currently 61, and my husband is 69. <laughs> you wanna, come on, You're wait. I gotta concentrate. Uh, I have to use ACA medical coverage until I am age 65. Now that we are ready to spend money out of our IRAs, I'm reluctant to do so because for approximately every $5,000 increase in MAGI will increase my annual ACA premium by about 720, which feels like a 14.5% tax on the extra income. Do you have any suggestions as to what other options I may have to limit this impact on my premium? I feel that I am trapped until I am on Medicare, even to try to convert some IRA dollars into our Roth account. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, this is a, a well-stated question. And yeah, this is another, it's subsidies for receiving health insurance from the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and when you're generating income, losing those subsidies is part of the effective marginal tax rate uh, that applies to individuals who do receive health coverage in that manner. And it can dramatically increase your effective marginal rate. I'll, I'll show some charts about that in the webinar on, on February 5th. Plug for the webinar. But <laughs> she's right. That feels like a 14.5% tax. Yeah, it's it's very chunky or it looks like Batman years in a way, but that effective marginal tax rate does bounce around between about 10% and all the way up to 18.5% when your income is in between the 100% and 400% of the federal poverty line. <laughs> so 400% of the federal poverty line for a two-person household is $78,880. So you're looking at those higher marginal, well, the loss of subsidies translated as a higher marginal tax rate in that 10 to 18% range. And then even after you get incomes above that level, you get a long tail where there's an 8.5% effective marginal rate. So in practice, it can be really hard to even think about Roth conversions if you're receiving subsidies for the Affordable Care Act because you have to consider those loss of subsidies as part of the effective marginal tax rate. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you're probably not going to be looking at doing Roth conversions uh, in these years. 
in terms of suggestions on on what to potentially do here. Now it is, you do need to make sure you have at least 100% of the poverty line uh, with income to be eligible for those subsidies with the Affordable Care Act. But once you're beyond that level, you want to control income. Now, she said that she's 61, her husband is 69. I don't know how close he is to 70, but in terms of suggestions, one possibility is the uh, the husband could file to suspend his Social Security benefits so he stops receiving them until he turns 70. You're allowed a one-time suspension, and you get delay credits for that. It, if it was a, it's two-thirds of a percent each month or 8% a year. So by doing that, you turn off the Social Security income, then you'll get a higher subsequent income. But plus, one of the things about the Affordable Care Act is it's we talked about taxation on 85% of Social Security benefits, but 100% of Social Security benefits are added to the calculation of how much subsidies will you lose. So not only would you get delay credits by suspending benefits until 70 you also could get a much higher subsidy on the Affordable Care Act health insurance by delaying credits. So if, if your husband's already almost 70, this may not really be worthwhile. But if he's closer to 69 than he is to 70, that might be something to look at. You could replace that with IRA distributions that generate an ordinary income or just I mean, the the question didn't really talk much about what's available with investment assets, but certainly covering expenses through the taxable account because just selling shares to generate long-term gains or potentially some offsetting gains and losses, trying to be tax efficient with spending from your taxable assets could also be a way to get the spending that you need to cover daily expenses without generating much in the way of taxable income. Um, and that that's really how I would otherwise approach it. But I, I agree with the analysis provided in the question. And I agree with the idea that you're probably going to struggle to justify a Roth conversion until you have qualified for, for Medicare. And there's also that double whammy at ages 63 and 64. Not only are those incomes impacting your Affordable Care Act subsidies, but they're also your, well, at this rate, well, no, it may still apply that <laughs> two years later, it's going to impact whether you have IRMA surcharges on Medicare premiums. So you you get a double whammy in terms of health costs based on income at age 63 and 64. I, I hope that really helps. Yes, you're thinking about this right. Yes, you potentially are losing a big subsidy. Yes, that probably means you're not going to be looking at doing Roth conversions. And if there is any other further suggestions I can provide, again, it's spend from the taxable account if you have one for these years. And also seriously think about just suspending the your husband's Social Security benefit till he turns 70 because you get the delay credits for that and you take 100% of that away from <laughs> the loss of subsidies with the uh, the calculation there. Follow me on Instagram for more advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great, man. That's a fantastic answer. Uh, that's it, yeah, right? That's... I, it, we're at a we're at a good stopping point. We got another. We we still have tons of questions that we'll get to, but I, I think this covers the the tax planning nicely, yeah. right? Wade? Yeah, and again, uh, if if you're interested, and if you've been 
on the 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 fence about getting the retirement planning guidebook. Uh, We've got the update now, so make sure when you're looking at the cover, it does say the 2024 on it. It'll be the second edition. It's still second edition, but with the updates for 2024. And feel free to join us on Monday, February 5th for that workshop on or the the webinar where I'll I'll talk about the, the new material with regard to tax planning for efficient retirement distributions the Roth conversions and and specifically explaining more about the Social Security tax torpedo, Irma, uh, the uh, we didn't really get into today, but how the preferential income, your long-term gains and qualified dividends stack on top of ordinary income and the implications of that, the uh, net investment income tax, and then just how RMDs can create an unsettling amount of income that <laughs> may trigger things you didn't really want to trigger with respect to the tax code. This sounds like a fun-filled Absolutely. webinar on Monday. <laughs> and we, we don't do... <laughs> it's, it's an acquired, it's an acquired taste, conversion but once you, once you acquire it, it... to generate more after-tax spending potential. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, I think that's it, right, Wade? So, everyone, thank you for listening. As you saw, these questions provide fertile ground for coverage. So, as you're listening in, please send us questions. Community at retirementresearcher.com. We, we track them. And uh, like I said, this sort of call to action for questions that we did before our YouTube Live, just, you know, we, we, we received a deluge of them. And, and we kind of love it because it really begins to guide our content in a way that's more interactive with you folks. So please send in questions. Uh, you know, it, it lets us, you know, think about them b- before answering them. And it, it it's great. Uh, wait, anything to say said it all as we already, sign off? So I'll let you do the final send off. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. All right, everyone. Thank Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. And uh, catch you next week. Bye. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.